0: Oh, God, let the cross be our glory and let the Lord be our song. We want that personally. We want that individually. We want that corporately. But we want that as a twosome. This gift of marriage be the song. And Lord, if there is something we can do to make that song clear to release the joy that You have always intended. Teach us today. Let it be practical. Be hands-on with us that we might grow and grow into the likeness of our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen. I have here in my hands one of the reasons why it is a joy for me to have Karen standing right here in the pulpit today. It's a cartoon. One of you sent this to me. I don't know who did, and I can't give credit, unfortunately. It's a picture of a little older couple. They're riding home from church. It's a husband and a wife. Turns out it's the pastor and his wife. They're riding home from church, and she is sitting there in the corner. A look of utter nonchalance on her face. I mean, one arm is cocked over the, the bench. In fact, let's, just, let's, let's put it up on the screen here. The other arm is half sticking out the window. <laughs> now, I want you to look at him. Come on, look at him. There's the preacher. He has a, a countenance on his pastoral visage of grave consternation. He's <laughs> gripping that steering wheel. His tie is loose. The coat, you can see, is thrown over his shoulder. And then he speaks these words. Have you stopped to consider how much more effective my sermon would have been if you hadn't yelled, Ha! <laughs> I tell you, I love that. I love it. Thank you, whoever said it to me. I have it hanging on my office door here. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that little cartoon, what it does is it reminds you that there is nothing worse for a pastor than preaching on the grand subject of marriage with such deep and divine truth that he disseminates. There's nothing worse than coming home at the end of the sermon to dinner and facing her with all those notes. Ha! What is this? (laughs) You get my point. Which is why, by the way, I'm very grateful for a friend of mine who said, You know what, Dwight, when you get to this subject, have Karen in the pulpit with you. Hallelujah.
1: Well, actually, my boss suggested that I do the preaching and he sing at the end.
0: (laughs) That would empty the church. Not her preaching, but uh, the song. And we want to hear that beautiful poster that's coming up. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, there is no point in my trying today to be an authority on women and wives when I happen to be married to one. And so today, Karen is going to speak to you gentlemen. Listen, listen up. She's going to give some sage wisdom and counsel and I am very grateful for that reason to have her here in the pulpit today. Now, I, for those of you keeping score, the score is 12-0. Twelve, that's how many messages have been called into the clinic, and to our home, on our voicemail, from women rallying all across this parish. In fact, when we, when we got onto the platform First Church, Karen opened up her morning hymnal, and there was a note, Karen, you go girl, signed Maggie, one of our office staff who sat right there in First Church. I'm telling you, 12 to zero. You say, Dwight, what's the zero? The zero is how many men have called to encourage me. I want to thank you, men. I just, I just, right here at the beginning. I want to thank you for deserting me in the hour of great need. Thank you very much.
1: And actually that word need is precisely what Dwight and I want to talk to, to you about today. What we're focusing on today as we continue our sermon series on the third millennial family. Need. His needs. Her needs. We got the idea from a book that I picked up about a year ago, and I wish I could remember why I picked this book. I don't know if someone sent me there looking for it or just what, but I found the book at, at Banner Bookstore. And brought it home, started reading it. There's 500,000 copies in print. It's a very popular book on marriage by Dr. William F. Hartley, Jr. The book, His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage.
0: After Karen read the book, I picked the book up, and I'm telling you, folks, it, it really it, it, it is filled with sage, practical, hands-on counsel, how to, how to keep growing the marriage. Now, I don't want, gentlemen in particular, I don't want those two words, affair-proof to scare you away. What what Harley is doing, and I keep we keep getting his name mixed up, it's Harley like in Harley Davidson. Is it Harley Davidson the motorcycle? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like Harley Davidson <laughs> is he's saying, Hey, look, I want to help you, I want to help you make your marriage and this is his word irresistible. So irresistible that neither partner would ever think of turning to somebody outside the marriage for deep emotional fulfilment. So that's a great book. Excellent book. We highly recommend it.
1: One of the metaphors or illustrations that Dr. Harley uses in the book is that of a love bank. Each of us, he suggests, um, has a love bank. We have accounts for every person we know, especially those we deal with on an everyday basis. So I have an account for Dwight, one for Kirk, one for Kristen, our children, one for the people I work with and my friends, et cetera. What ends up happening is... uh, you have one, I have one. We all uh, have accounts for that. But Dr. Harley wants to point out, and the quote's going to be up on the screen, each person either makes deposits or withdrawals whenever we interact with him or her. Pleasurable interactions cause deposits. And painful interactions cause withdrawals. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the love bank is not intended to be a mathematically um, accurate concept. It is simply designed to underscore the fact that we each affect each other emotionally with almost every encounter.
0: Which is a very critical point to lock in right here at the uh, beginning of our, our time together. Because look, at gentlemen, in particular. What happens, see, if we're doing things to our wives and we think, hey, I'm just, oh, I must have an incredible fortune built up in her love bank. Come to find out that that very action or the lack of it is, in fact, withdrawing. It's not going up. It's going down, down, down. You say, oh, come on, do I, how am I supposed to know? I didn't even know she had that need. What do you mean I'm supposed to be the one making emotional deposits in that area of her life? Nobody told me. Ah, Harley said, that's the point. I want to tell you. Now, the man, the man is, is certainly uh, has grounds to make his case with us. Did it say 20,000 hours he spent Something counseling like couples? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the book. 20,000 hours. He's a clinical psychologist. And he said, after all these hours, what I want to share with you... And we left the book. We left the book in my office, and I, and I apologize for that. <laughs> the five deepest needs of a woman, of a wife... And then he said, I want to share with you the five greatest needs of a man, of a husband. Now, his point is simple. Look, if I can show these needs to you, here's what happens. You will be able to concentrate on your spouse's needs. Now, half the time, the problem with our marriages is we're always, hey, come on, I need this. Hey, 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 hey. We're always focused this way. No. If she's meeting your needs, you're relieved. Shift the paradigm. You can now fill those needs with her and you end up with... Wow, a win-win proposition. So, here's what he writes. Take a look at this. Dr. Harley, I'd like to address married people who want to be happily married. There isn't a couple here this morning that isn't saying, yep, that's, that is us. Whether you have just started your life together, we've got a bunch of newlyweds here, or whether you have had an average marriage for a number of years, and some of you say, boy, that is my marriage, average, 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 or even... Have had a bad marriage, and let's face it, there are some marriages that have been bad. Or even, he goes on, have had an affair, and some of you know of what he speaks. It doesn't matter, he says. You can build or rebuild your marriage if you learn to. And then in the book, this is big, huge box around it. You can learn to become aware of each other's needs and learn to meet them. You've got got to know the needs before you can meet them. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let's go. Put on your seatbelt because we've got to fly through this material. Five of her greatest needs. Five of his deepest needs. The five secrets of a lasting marriage. Now, here's the book, by the way. It's a wonderful book. You can get it in the bookstores around our community. And it's worth the investment. A few pennies. But you're investing in your marriage. Now... In the bulletin today is a worksheet. Would you find this? It's the only yellow insert. If you got a bulletin today, you're in luck. Now, look, you say, well, I'm not married or I'm I'm just not into this. Would you please pass your your yellow sheet to somebody else then? Because we've got a packed church here and we want to make sure that everybody has a chance to work through this this, uh, worksheet together. His needs, her needs. We're going to fill it out. In fact, let's just begin right now. The, The preamble that Karen and I have just shared. As we prepare to plunge in together, look at the front of the front of the worksheet. There's a the bibliographical information you need. Now, here we go. We all have a love bank. Now, there are three blanks there, because in some of our languages, it takes more words to put two words than in English. So you can put it in whatever language you wish. But we all have a love bank. Jot it down. Good. See, you're right in there. In which we either make deposits or... Take, what would it be? Withdrawals. Okay, get those two words. We make deposits or take withdrawals. In nearly every encounter, we affect each other emotionally. Hey, listen, guys. Everything I do to Karen, every encounter we have in the early morning or late at night, I am, in, I am affecting her emotionally. Okay? Last line. Therefore, become aware of each other's needs. There's the key word. Right in the word needs. Become aware of each other's needs and learn to meet them. All right, guys. Buck up now. Because she's going to be talking to you. Her need, number one.
1: Number one is affection.
0: Write it down under her needs. Gentlemen, we're going to really concentrate right here. Number one, affection.
1: Gentlemen, this is your wife's deepest emotional need. It's the essential cement of her relationship with you. I know it is for me, with Dwight. But I have to remind him of that every now and then anyway. (laughs) Huh? <laughs> Sorry dear telling oh, family secrets it, tell it in public. <laughs> All right. Well, affection symbolizes many things, security and approval for one. We women strongly need those. We don't get enough of them. We don't get enough of them. <laughs> you go girl. <laughs> oh. There are many ways to show affection. Cards and notes, and fellas, there's a wonderful uh, Hallmark store in this town. Even Chug Store has some great cards. Three dollars, you got a card. Not just for your anniversary or her birthday, but in between, in the middle of the week when she's having a hard time. Or just to say, I love you, just I'm thinking of you. It's a nice way to do it. Flowers, of course. There's not a woman alive that doesn't like flowers. Invitations for dinner, and there are a host of Restaurants around South Bend, St. Joe, Benton Harbor, and even Berrien Springs has some, in case you didn't know. There are some little courtesies that you did while you were dating. Don't give them up. Keep doing them. Keep opening the door for her. Walks together, back rubs. I said back rubs. <laughs> I
0: heard your first church.
1: Yeah, I just want to make sure you got it good. I want
0: you to know, guys, I do not have her notes in my notes. No. So do you no. want me to jot this down? This is the second yes. time you mentioned it. Yes,
1: this. in fact, I brought my pen in case you needed it.
0: I got my own.
1: Okay. We're I'll running just, out of time. Uh, hurry. On. Oh, hurry. <laughs> you notice he does most of the talking. He's telling me to hurry. <clears throat> okay. Phone calls. For one thing, when twice. You know, he travels quite a bit, but no matter where he is, he calls me on a nightly basis if it's within the United States. If he's out of the country, it's a little more expensive for us, so it's not quite that often, but occasionally there are emails if he takes his computer, too. But one of the big ones on my list, too, besides the back rubs, are hugs. Mm. Just good old-fashioned hugs. You know, women like to give hugs. They give them to each other. They give them to relatives, to children, to animals, even stuffed animals. But not only do we like to give hugs, we love to receive hugs. It's a very important thing to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, your habits of affection are not necessarily motivated by your need, but by the desire to meet your wife's needs. If you're supplying her need, Great, you're probably going to get your needs supplied, too. The little things mean a lot. And like little messages. Dwight loves to leave little messages when he's getting ready to leave on trips. He goes in the bathroom, grabs the bar of soap, and writes on the mirror. Sometimes it's, I love you. Sometimes there's a heart with our initials in it. Occasionally there's a heart with the letters I-U, which is, Nelson Lingo for I Love You.
0: We can't smell in my truck no. <laughs> still. So it's
1: simple. But each of us ladies interprets affection in our own way. So your mission, gentlemen, if you choose to, re- to receive it, and I hope you do, is to find out what it is that makes your wife tick, what it is that she loves in the, in the realm of affection, and then hone in on those and, and practice them. They'll become second nature.
0: Gentlemen, go ahead and put it down. Make sure you get it. Her need, number one. And Harley is clear. This is the most important need she has. Affection. He says, every time you show your wife affection, you're saying, I, 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 I admire you. I, I am proud of you. you. You say to her, you are an important person to me and I couldn't live without you. I mean, he, got a whole, he has a whole paragraph on that. Because they need to know we're proud of them. In fact, it reminds me of a story I heard. A preacher from Birmingham, Alabama went to an evangelism seminar once and he told this story. An elderly couple, they're in their 80s now. We have a couple, by the way, sitting on the front row here. who Today, Jim Fisher's parents are celebrating their 61st wedding anniversary. Hallelujah. Nice to have. Yeah. So, anyway, this elderly couple, they're hard of hearing and they're sitting on on a front porch rocking together. And he says to her, he just wants emotion welling up, I'm proud of you. She goes, eh. He said, I'm proud of you. She goes, eh. I'm proud of you. After all these years, she answered back, I'm tired of you too. Well, you know, you've got to tell her that you're proud of her. That it's a part of this affection thing. I have to share that. Right All ahead. right. Harley says, and I want you to get this. This gentleman, come on. A hug can say any and all of the above. I'm proud of you and so on. Men need to understand how strongly women need these affirmations. For the typical wife, there can hardly be enough of them. Hug, hug, hug. It's a three-letter word for her. You're thinking of another three-letter word. She's thinking H-U-G. See, I'll get to yours in a moment. <laughs> hug, hug, hug. I read somewhere, and it's not Harley, and it makes a lot of sense. He said, hey, hey, listen, couples, the first three minutes of your interaction in the morning and the first three minutes of your interaction when you're back together in the evening set the tone for the entire rest of that segment of time. None of us is a morning glory. You know, and sometimes you don't even want to, but we need. We need to just have just a hug. There's so, a woman loves a hug. Ladies, is this true? It's true. Hug, hug, hug. All right. Hey, by the way, it's in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind to one another. That's Greek for hug. And be tender-hearted, And live in love. All right. Thank you, Karen. That's a, Her needs, number one. Number one need a woman has, affection. Num- ladies, I'm talking to you now. Number one need a man has, write, write it down, two words, backside side of the sheet, two words, sexual fulfillment. Karen and I decided we are not going to illustrate this one out of our own marriage with you. <laughs> but I want to tell you, ladies, a little secret. Men are sexual creatures. From puberty on, the male contains this God-given sexual drive. And I, I use that word advisedly. Four on the floor and overdrive to boot. We, we, we men, we just, we just have it, see? You've heard of the word arousal? For a man, arousal is instantaneous. Just like that. Particularly when he's young. I'm not sure when, by the way, it goes away. I haven't had the courage to ask my dad. And so, I don't know.
1: He'd appreciate that. Sex
0: is a big deal. See, here's the point. Come on. Come on, ladies. Listen to me now. Sex is a big deal for most husbands. That the clinical psychologist weighs in on this one. Let's go to the screen. When a man chooses a wife... He promises to remain faithful to her for life. This means that he believes his wife will be his only sexual partner until death do his part. He makes this commitment because he trusts her to be sexually interested in him as he is in her. He trusts her to be sexually available to him whenever he needs to make love and to meet all his sexual needs. Hold it right there. He is not suggesting sex on demand. You have to read the chapter in the context. He's very balanced. But he expects that of her just as she trusts him to meet her. Her emotional needs. Hey, come on, let's do the arithmetic. Number one need of a woman, affection. Number one need of a man, sexual fulfillment. Therefore, Harley makes this observation. The typical wife doesn't understand her husband's deep need for sex any more than the typical husband understands his wife's deep need for affection. I got a book in my library written by Josh McDowell. Some of you have heard of McDowell. Title of the book, Sex Begins in the Kitchen. What's the point? A a, a fella can pick it up pretty quick. The point is, it is not always in the bedroom that you show affection. It has to begin out there in the workaday world, outside the bedroom. Husbands, we may be able to turn it on turn it off just like that. It doesn't work that way for our wives. No more talking to to the husbands, though. Ladies, it's my turn to talk to you. If his love bank is running low on sexual fulfillment, meaning you're not showing him attention and affection inside the bedroom, you can't expect her... No, you can't expect him, sorry. You just watch your own notes here, I'll take care of these.
1: I wonder why yours were different.
0: You can't expect him to be very effective at making affection deposits outside the bedroom. See? Harley makes this point. In fact, it's a law and I wanted to make sure that the men got this law and ladies that you got it too. Let's go to it right here. Let's put it up on the screen. When it comes to sex and affection, jot it down right here in the back. When it comes to sex and affection, you can't have one without the other. Now, I want to leave sex, but I want to tell you something. Hallelujah. Paul weighs in on the discussion. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Take a look at this, wives. The husband should give to his wife her con- conjugal rights. That's kind of code word. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body. You see, it's this mutual submission, but the wife does. Go on. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer. And then, hallelujah, come back together again. <laughs> So that Satan, come on, Paul wants an affair-proof marriage so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I see some faces out here going, I can't believe we're getting this in church today. (laughs) Well, my friend, you have forgotten. Let me just quickly remind you because I saw your face. You have forgotten that this gift was given in a pristine and perfect garden. And the enemy has sought to destroy the gift. We all know how. But hallelujah, we ought to be celebrating. Instead of always talking down a gift, we ought to celebrate the gift from God to husbands and wives. Alright. So, there's a marital golden rule that's very important here. Meet your spouse's needs as you would want your spouse to meet your needs. That's not on the worksheet, but you can jot it down. It's a marital golden rule. Don't, don't come on, don't just abuse her, sir. Be sensitive to her needs. Sex and affection go together. All right, Karen, her needs number two.
1: All right, her needs number two is conversation.
0: Number two, write it down, gentlemen, conversation. Line number two here.
1: Have you noticed how much women like to talk? We talk about everything. We talk to each other. We call each other and say, hi, what you doing? You you men never do that. You're more practical. You talk about um, politics. You talk about fixing the car. You talk about, um, I've lost my place. (laughs) Who's first in the sports world Mm -hmm. of the season? Mm -hmm. You you don't tend to want to talk about yourself, and heaven forbid, about your feelings. Mm. Well, conversation is very important to a woman because it blends with the affection There is a difference, though, between the way men and women look at talking and conversation. I read in the book, Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus. There the author points out that when a man listens to a woman telling him about her day, and she might express some frustration, he is all the time attempting to problem-solve for her. He wants to give suggestions on how to take care of this problem. Dwight does that. I admit it. He's learning, but he does that. He wants to jump in and solve the problem for me. He wants to be my hero, and that's fine. It's just that I don't want him to do that. If I want that, and occasionally a wife will say, I don't know what to do about this. I need help. Will you tell me what your suggestion would be? Then it's okay. But don't always listen with getting that remedy out just right away. Listen with an ear that's sympathetic without having to problem-solve. Um, it was given to me between services here that the average woman speaks about 25,000 words a day. Guess how many of the men speak? They're mute, I guess. 10,000. So we have a little edge on you as far as the number, but the problem arises when the man comes home from being at work all day, He's spent his words. But she's just barely getting started, you know. She wants to converse. She wants to talk. And he doesn't necessarily want to relive his day because he's done it with all his buddies or colleagues or whatever. But she's ready to talk because all she's had to talk to are the kids that day. So it's important for you men to save a few words, at least, for your wife. (laughs) Dwight's a good conversationalist, and he respects my thoughts even when they don't agree with his. (laughs) We We have agreed to disagree on some things, like, Politics and what's going on in Florida right now. We do definitely have a whole different attitude on that, but we won't go into that too far. <laughs> but he allows me to have a mind of my own. I don't have to be a wallflower just because he has a strong personality. But on the other hand, ladies, we have to pick and choose our times to bring up conversation, too. We can't bring it up during the evening news or during the sports activities. or, or in Dwight's case he's rather a private person besides being outgoing, but he doesn't want to talk and have a big conversation in a, in a public function or whatever. So just be real picky about when you choose to have your conversations, and he'll probably join in.
0: In, re, in regards to this, Harley makes a great point. Take a look at this. Gentlemen, remember, most women fall in love with men who have set aside time to exchange conversation and affection with them. They stay in love, emphasis his, they stay in love with men who continue to meet those needs. Conversation is critical. Alright, his needs, number two. We've got to pick up some speed here. His needs, number two. Turn your sheet over. Two words in that long line. Recreational companionship. Recreational companionship. Simply put, simply put, a husband wants to have fun in life with his wife. Ladies are big, you just heard it, they're big on dialogue, but husbands are big on do, 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 do. Now, I give my premarital couples uh, a a little test called Taylor-Johnson Trait Analysis. It's not a psychological test, you take it and you paint your own picture. I tell the couples, one of the nine traits is active social. Whatever your premarital spread is, college students in particular, whatever your premarital spread is, your marital spread will be greater. It only grows farther apart, not closer together. And for a while, I said, well, I don't know about that. But the longer we have been married, the more I realize, you know what? That is absolutely true. We are doing less and less together. What's going on? And then I came across Harley, who makes, I think, a very uh, pertinent observation. Let's put it up here. It is not uncommon... For women, when they are single, we got a whole campus full of single women, to join men in pursuing their interests. They find themselves hunting and fishing and playing football and watching movies they would never have chosen on their own. After marriage, wives often try to interest their husbands in activities more to their own liking. After we got married, Karen took up macrame. G- give me a break, macrame? <laughs> I mean, I tied knots in Pathfinders. Why do I do it now? But you, know, So... You know, it's just, if their attempts fail, and he's making a point here, women may encourage their husbands to continue their recreational activities without them. I consider, oh, oh, don't, don't, I consider that option very dangerous to a marriage because men place surprising importance on having their wives as recreational companions. Ladies, listen, the television stereotype is wrong. TV makes it look like all men, oh, I can just hardly wait to get out with the boys again. Wrong. When a man goes out, he would much rather have his number one bud with him. No question. And so, you've got to come to the place where you sit down and say, What can we do together? I heard a story, I'm just going to insert this here. Gary Smalley, you know, the great marriage and family specialist. He tells a story about a couple who went to a marriage seminar one weekend. Learn something like this. You've got to do stuff together. And as they're going home, the wife announces to her husband, Honey, I thought it over. I am going hunting with you. He just felt this cold sweat break over his body, hunting with me. Please, that's the one thing. I... All right, he said, hunting it will be. So he bought her a gun and the orange vest. He trained her. They went target practicing. They Finally, the day comes. They go out into the forest. He says, okay, you go that way. I go this way. When you get that deer, poom, you know what to do. Moments go by, and then he hears these boom, boom, boom. Three of them, three shots. A feeling of warmth floods over him. She, she has bagged her first game. He starts racing through the woods for the sound of the shot. He hears voices, they, loud, angry voices. A woman's voice, he recognizes his wife, and a man's voice. And the woman is saying, it's my dear. And the man says, no, it's not. It's my dear. It is not. It is my dear. Finally, before he can round the corner, he hears the man say, all right, lady, it's your deer. Let me take the saddle off of it first. She shot the guy's horse. Hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love that one. Only men are laughing now, but I do love that one. So, ladies, the point is this: You've you have got to share something you both enjoy and understand. See, you don't just go into because he's into it. <laughs> and so he says, he says, by the way, fellas, give up this competitive sports stuff. She's not into competitive sports, so don't make her. You know, she doesn't want to play golf. She doesn't want to play golf or bowling. Find what you can do together. What's the point? You need mutually enjoyable fun. Ah, I like this. Harley's policy of mutual appeal, companionship, recreational companionship. But remember, engage in only those recreational activities that both you and your spouse can enjoy together. Ladies, don't just say, well, I can't find a thing. We're not doing it. No, no, no. Sit down and plan. Choose. Pick those, those, uh, those activities. By the way, Harley says, and he says, other marriage counselors don't always agree with me here. But I would like to suggest that a husband and wife should be each other's best friends. And I've got to tell you, Karen is my best friend. Hands down. I've got some wonderful friends. But this is the woman. This is the human being that I spend life with. It ought to be that way. In fact, Harley's Law of Marriage, jot this down. I think this is on our worksheet. Yes, it is. Jot this down. The couple that plays together stays together. You've got to do it together. Have fun together. All right. Enough of that.
1: All right, her needs number three, honesty and openness. Gentlemen, your wife needs to come to find you, and you're not going to like this word, predictable. She needs to learn to trust you like she trusts no other human being in the entire world. She has a right to what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your thoughts, the good, the bad, those problems. Your fears. That's how she gets to know you. That's how she gets to know the real you. If you're not open and honest with her, it undermines her sense of security and it undermines her trust. No marriage can survive without that honesty. Dwight shares with me his feelings. He makes himself very vulnerable, and because he trusts me enough with those feelings of vulnerability, it makes me feel more important. It makes me feel good that he has that. Trust in me.
0: By the way, gentlemen, uh, speaking of this need of hers, if she can't find it in you, this is, her number, this, is, this is her number three. If she can't find it in you, there'll be a guy at the water cooler. I'm telling you, there'll be a guy who is ready to say, tell me, tell me. And I will carry your secrets. I'm telling you, we have got to be open and honest and win that vulnerable, that vulnerability and that trust. Harley's Law, another law of your mate should know you better than anyone else in the world. Write the word no down. It's not love. It's no. Even more than your parents. Your mate should know you better. Don't tell those secrets Madam, sir, don't tell those secrets outside the sacred confines of your holy relationship. You don't need a third person. That's why triangles have such sharp points. They are destructive the moment you set up a triangle. Forget him, forget her. No more secrets. Only within the fortress of your own marriage. Alright. His need, number three. Okay, this is three words. Ladies, write write these words down. Three words here. And... Attractive spouse. I'm going to get in trouble on this one. That's okay. What does it mean to be attractive? It simply means that your appearance makes someone feel good. Now, because we're going to squirm a little bit, let's let the good doctor uh, hit us right off the bat. Put it up on the screen, please. Please. A man with a need for an attractive spouse feels good whenever he looks at his attractive wife. In fact, that's what emotional needs are all about. When one of his emotional needs is met, he feels fulfilled. And when it's not, he feels frustrated. It may sound immature and superficial, but i found that most men have a need. Come on, they have a need for an attractive wife. They do not appreciate a woman for her inner qualities alone. Now, the key word is alone. They, They love those qualities. But not just alone, please. They also appreciate the way she looks I don't mind telling you, right here in front of this whole crowd, I was physically attracted to Karen the first time I saw her. She's moving on this sidewalk. She's gotten out of the science building, and I'm getting out of religion department there at Southern College. And I see that she was wearing I'm not going to use the word seductive. It was an inviting pink. (laughs) It was an inviting pink. And when Karen puts on pink, your eyes, my eyes are... Not yours, my eyes... (laughs) My eyes. You're getting in trouble. We're drawn to the, to her lips. She has beautiful, beautiful lips. Now I love her green eyes. I love her flawless pale complexion and her brunette hair. But those lips. And when I saw, I said, I got to get to know this woman. And so what I would do, I'd put my head down. I'd see her, and I just time it so. I'd, I oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. <laughs> it's true. It's really corny, but it worked. I'm telling you. <laughs> I want to tell you something. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. I am still physically attracted to my wife. Majorly. I want to tell you something, ladies. Listen to me now. Listen to me. It is important for the husband, for your husband, that you look good. For most, now not all. That you look good. That you dress well within the salary. That you stand out. <laughs> well, I just... That you stand out in a crowd of women who husband not want to say, hey, there she is. Now, look, I know what some of you ladies are saying. Well, he married me for better or for worse. Well, that's true, but you don't have to make it worse. See? <laughs> Please. I mean, you know, I see some women, present company accepted, of course. I see some women and I mutter to myself. God bless their husbands.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but let's also remember that there are some husbands that can be looked at and say, God help their wives.
0: Yeah, I know. I realize it's, it's two-way. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to become slovenly now that you've conquered and you're in the, the fortress together. But I do appreciate, Dr. Harley, thank you, sir, for noting that for mon- many men, physical attraction is important. Now, some men, overweight, underweight, it doesn't matter, a hell of beans, because their emotional needs are being met in another realm of that bank. By the way, I want to say this before we hurry on. Ladies, how you dress for bed is all a part of your attractiveness, because when you dress for bed, there is only one human being that you are dressing for. So get rid of those baggy flannels, is what I'm kind of (laughs) saying. (laughs) All right. What's the matter? <laughs> you got him in your home too?
1: <laughs>
0: I like this from Harley. The husband, yeah, he's not saying you've got to be a beauty queen all your life. I'm not saying that. But the husband says, look, look she, his wife, should resemble the woman he married. <laughs> Is that asking too much? <laughs> One more from Harley. Let's put it up because, because he has a good balance here. People can be attractive in many ways. Those with attractive personalities may also meet an emotional need, but they usually deposit love units with the quality of their conversation or affection rather than their appearance. In fact, here's the good news for all of us. Whenever someone meets any of our emotional needs, we consider that person attractive. So, ladies, write it down under his needs, number three, an attractive spouse. Her needs, number four. Karen. Number
1: four, financial support. We women want our husbands to support us as well as or better than our fathers did when we were growing up. That doesn't mean you have to be a financial wizard, but you do need to be the main financial pillar of the home. If she works outside the home, the bulk of the home expenses still need to come from your paycheck. If your wife resents having to work full-time, then you both need to sit down together and see if your standard of living can be brought down to a point where it's a little more comfortable, which makes you more happy. Face it, folks, most most couples in the world today do set a standard of living far higher than they need to be happy. You both need to be careful spenders. And that brings to mind a story, and I don't know if yeah, Dwight yeah. wants me to... No, he it. doesn't want to do that. <clears throat> Let's just suffice it to say, there's only been one time in our marriage that Dwight made a major purchase without talking to me about it. Only once. He learned a very valuable lesson.
0: <laughs> I arrest my case. Go ahead. All right. All right, we want, to, we want to move on here, but I want to... What is the problem with you? Harley makes a point. I'm talking about financial support. And it's good for all of us. When it comes to money in marriage, less may be more. That's in your worksheet, by the way. When it comes to money in marriage, less may be more. Guys, we've got to quit living high on the hog. We don't have to have everything. We don't have to have all that technology. We don't have to have the best car in the neighborhood. You don't. Dampen down. I know. <laughs> dampen down. Dampen down. It's good counsel. Financial support. Okay. We just got one more each left. I got two more. Number his need number four. Write this down, ladies, because this is for you. His need number four. Three two words. Domestic support. Two words. Domestic support. We were sitting around in staff the other day kind of bragging about our families. I said, man, guys, you don't know, you don't have a concept what it's like to live in a house with three women. They said, three? I said, yeah, Karen, Kristen, and Sadie Hawkins. She's a dog, but she's a girl. And <laughs> Kirk has moved out to his own apartment. I said, man, when I come home at night, Karen is there. She, she meets me at the door with a big hug and a kiss. And Chrissy comes running down with the slippers I put them on. Sadie comes down the stairs, a newspaper. Man, it's so great. I go up to the fireplace, put my dinner jacket on, prop my feet up, four-course meals getting prepared. And... Then Karen and I go out and we walk after the meal and I ask her how she's doing with paying all the bills, or lining up the repair for the home, has everything been taken care of? You know, I got through about to that point and, and Pastor Esther, it helps to have a woman on the staff. Yes. Pastor Esther shoots back, she says, I'll go on, I tell the truth. You're the first one home and you have to have supper ready every night when Karen and Chrissy come <laughs> home. Well, well, that's not quite true, but if I have the supper ready, it is always spaghetti. <laughs>
1: I I said,
0: "Chrissy, shall I make supper tonight? She said, forget spaghetti. (laughs) But, but, you know, I read, then I read Harley. And he says, hey, ladies, every man fantasizes fantasizes with that. He dreams of his wife being his domestic supporter. Solomon comes along. The last chapter of his book is all about a woman. Oh, boy. Proverbs 31. He's extolling this woman who gets up before sunlight to feed her family and clothe it really is true. Now look, we're living in a world, we both have jobs. Both of us do in order to survive. We, we, we got to share. But you need to know, ladies, your husband really, he thinks of you as the domestic support. You are the numero uno when it comes to the home and the family. And if we didn't have Proverbs 31 wise, I, I mean, you know what? You could just, feminists would say, just let it go, let it go. No, 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 ladies. God has called you to a high calling. And that uh, domestic support happens to be a part of it. Now, I like how how Harley, he balances it. He says, most husbands simply don't do much housework until after they're retired, whether their wives work or not. And how true this is. In most cases, working wives come home exhausted to tend to their children and clean up as best they can. But much of the housework is left undone. Boy, this is our home. These women don't spend their weekends resting. They spend them watching the kids, cleaning the house, and washing clothes. That's true. We know. The reason this is here is number four is because the man lives with his ideal picture. And I tell you, when you cook it up, it just, it just does something to the cockles of his heart. All right, your last one.
1: Her needs number five, family commitment.
0: Jot those two words down, family commitment.
1: She needs him to be a good father. Wives want their husbands to take the leadership roles in the home for both the moral and educational development of the children, and that also includes the spiritual development. You fathers have such a profound influence on your children, and I, I don't know how to emphasize that more, and I don't know if you realize how important that point is. In our home, Dwight has spent a lot of time with the kids. When they were little, it was playing. Chrissy always wanted to play horsey daddy. I want to play horsey. And he'd go out in the living room when I'd be making supper. And he and she would be playing. With Kirk, it was with some sport of ball, whether it was football, softball, or uh, basketball, or whatever. But he spent a lot of time with the kids. The kids look at him not only as their father. They look at him as their friend. Um, his interest in the kids amount to more of the time and, and account in my love bank for him. And he's putting those um, deposits in. It's important.
0: In fact, let's put this up on the screen because you need to <laughs> jot it down here. Another law from Harley, law of marriage. The husband, the best husband is a good father. Gentlemen, come on. We, we have to exercise that leadership role, moral leadership, uh, intellectual uh, training for the children. In fact, Harley says, look, at guys, you got 50 hours at work. When you come home, he says another 15 for your wife and another 15 for your children. I, when I read that, I said, that is not humanly possible. But he says, no, you can count going to church together as a family, meals together, family activities, 15 for the kids a week, 15 for her alone a week. Now, it's a high ideal, but it means we have something to strive for. Family commitment. Final number, final need for his needs. It's number five. It's just a single word, but oh, how important this is. Ladies and men, write it down. Admiration. I want you to hear Harley on this one. The guy is right, this psychologist. Biographies... Let's put the, uh, the next quote up. There it is. Biographies of great men prove it, and, all, and the lies of all men show it. A man simply thrives on a woman's admiration... To a great extent, men owe gratitude to their wives for this kind of emotional support, for without it, their confidence, the major source of their success erodes and eventually crumbles. And if there's a husband right here who is muttering to himself, I don't need my wife that much, he is either lying or has found someone else to bring him that essential admiration. That's what's happening. Somebody else is bringing it to him. You need her, sir. And madam, you must know we crave to be admired. And respected by you. Out in the world, sometimes we are a big, fat zero. But when we walk through that door at night, I'm telling you, we feel like we are numero uno because of what you say. Now, we don't believe everything you say. But a lot of it we take because we just need, our self-esteem needs that boost, that lift. And conversely, I need to say this. Nothing will wilt a husband's confidence and self-esteem more destructively than to be criticized by his wife in public, whether it's in front of his kids, that's public, whether it 's in front of his colleagues or, or uh, the, a crowd, that's public, in front of anybody. In fact, even if there is nobody there, he is only in front of him, wife, if you lash him apart in private. He may pretend he's not hurt or unaffected, but he will he if he loses your ad, ad, what's the word?
1: Admiration. If he
0: loses your admiration, he is cut to the quick. We know a couple. The truth. And every time we got together, this couple, boy, did you, and the wife was particularly cruel and cutting. And he was, a, you know, kind of, he shrugged it off gamely, kind of joked it off. She kept coming back for the kill. Another stab. I mean, you know what it's like. You, soon, you start feeling uncomfortable even for both of them. Needless to say, neither is married to each other now. Women, come on. We need that admiration. I hope you don't think it's too trite, but it's one of uh, Harley's corollaries that's put it up here. Behind every man should be an admiring wife. Somebody came up to, after first church said, it should be beside every man. No, the man needs to be propped up, lady. Your job to get, is to get him out the door in the morning. Prop him up. Behind every man is an admiring wife. Alright. Well, I want to end with a testimony. There's a little text, by the way, at the bottom of the sheet. And I wish you'd fill this text out. It's a beautiful... You know, you can take all ten needs and they're poignantly summarized in this one line from Paul. Ephesians 5, 33. Fill in the two words. Each of you should love his wife as himself and each wife should respect her husband. That's it. Love and respect. You'd All ten, to come right down. Now, guys, uh, ladies and gentlemen... I've got to tell you that uh, in our own marriage, there have been times when we've really struggled to keep that old marital ship afloat. I mean, it, is, it has not been for us, just because we're talking about these five needs, it has not been smooth sailing every stretch of the way. You know, I, I can tell you this, and I don't want to get gooshy-mooshy here, but, uh, you know, I love Karen with all my heart. I loved her I loved with all my heart when I said, wilt out, and she wilted right at the very beginning. But I love her with all my heart now. And I realize, and I heard people say this. You know something, Dwight? You're going to find that every day gets better in marriage. Every day gets better. I'm telling you, there are some days, there were some days along the way when I said to me, What do you mean, every day gets better? If this is marriage, I now understand why Paul and Jesus were both single. It made sense to me. (laughs) And I can tell you, Karen has been, I know there have been those days and nights when she said, "What? How did I get stuck with this guy? But you know what? Martin Luther was right. He, when he married beautiful, a uh, little beautiful to him, Katie Von Bora, and they had quite a struggle in their marriage as well, but he, he used to describe marriage as a school of character. And those of you who are getting ready to get into marriage, that's what it is. It's a school. In fact, a little book, Adventist Home, comes along and it says marriage is a school from which you are never graduated. You never get your Ph.D. in marriage. You may get your Ph.D. in need number one, but then you've got to get a second doctorate. Make it in need number two. By the time you get to five, it's over. Marriage is a school day in and day out. And I can make this testimony. Cool are um, uh, you know, the first, I tell the couples who are getting ready to get married, your first year is the most glorious and passionate and explosive year of your marriage. Because when you get two proud personalities together, just, every time they bang up against each other. You know, people say marriage is when two people become one. The trouble starts when they try to determine which one. See, that's what happens. You just, is it me? And you know what? I say this to my uh, uncredit, but for so long in our marriage, I figured my job as a husband was to change my wife. I spent hours and days trying to change Karen. What a hopeless task. (laughs) (laughs) Because you can't change And Here's the point. You can't change your spouse. You can't do it. One day, a few years ago, it's just one of those eureka moments and the paradigm shifted. And God said to me, boy... Why don't you just give up trying to change this woman? I made her. I'll take care of her. You concentrate on you. You change you. I'll take care of her. What Harley is saying is, pour it into each other. Quit concentrating on meeting your own. To pour it into the other. We believe, the two of us very deeply, that there is nothing, there is nothing any man and a woman can face As long as you cling to each other and cling to God, there is nothing your marriage cannot overcome. I'm telling you, some of you today are facing some very dire circumstances. If you cling to each other and if you will cling to the Lord of marriage, there is nothing you cannot overcome. You can climb any mountain with Jesus. That divorce court does not need your two names in it. If you cling to each other... And cling to Him. Husbands, love your wives. That's straight out of John 3.16. God so loved the world. Give of yourself to her. Be the first to admit you're wrong. Be the first to be a servant. Be the first to take the log log jam out. Love your wives. And gentlemen, I promise you, I promise you, you love your wife like God loved us at Calvary and she will automatically return to you all the respect and admiration your little heart could ever long for. It does get better. I'm here to take 26 and a half years, it gets better. Don't throw in the towel. Hang on. The best is yet to come. Karen's going to end with a beautiful,
1: beautiful story. Well, this was in a feature uh, news, I guess. It's talking about a real-life couple by the name of Joseph and Mary. Joseph H. Berghaus, 74, had cared for his disabled wife for years, some say for as long as 40 years, bathing and dressing her. Each evening, he had provided her with her only contact with the world. He paid a neighbor to watch over her during the eight hours that he had to work at a maintenance job in San Gabriel, California. But each evening, he would lift her into their car for an evening out. They liked to watch people doing the things that they could not do, like bowling. Upon retirement ten years ago, Joseph devoted full-time to meeting the needs of his paralyzed wife, Mary. They had lived in the same modest apartment for twenty years. The neighbors said that she was afflicted right after their marriage. So Joseph and Mary were a familiar sight at recreation centers. They sat quietly, just watching. Mary could not make a sound because of her paralysis, but the beauty in her smile revealed her contentment in spite of the major handicap. Yesterday, A neighbor noticed their house was quiet, too quiet for a whole week now. With no response at the door, the police were called. Soon there were police cars, ambulances, and many curious onlookers. It was apparent that Joseph Berghaus had been stricken in the bathroom with a heart attack, then crawled toward his paralyzed wife in the bedroom. Ten feet from her bed, he died. She had struggled from the bed and with superhuman efforts reached her husband's side, Paralyzed and unable to speak, she lay there beside him for four days, perhaps reviewing in her mind the 40 years of love that he had given to her. The doctors reported her heart had stopped four days later than her husband's. Death could not part them.
0: I want death for our marriage, and you want it for yours, don't you? Don't you? We've asked our friends, married friends, Jeannie and Harold Smith, to sing a beautiful song of, Christian marriage commitment. And you know what, Karen and I would like to invite you to do? If you're married here and your spouse is here, would you slip out of that pew and you've been down to the altar before, once upon a time? Let's come down to the altar again as they sing. And let's hold hands together and let's make this a moment of recommitment. Death shall not part us either.